Today's scripture reading is from John 7, 11 to 39. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd then answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel, marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Then some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know that this, where this man comes from, and when the, the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Then on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning. I am always a bit concerned p preaching through John because of these chapters. They're so long. I uh, actually I'm preaching on the entire chapter, and I don't need, and and it's kind of hard. I want to get my hands around it. I want to get my hands and thoughts around it. I want to get your hands and thoughts around it. More importantly, 
So I've had a chance to read it and reread it and reread it and study it and translate it and do all sorts of things with it. So I'm a little bit ahead of you. But, uh, but as we kind of go into the text, did you sense how confusing it is? Did you, did you get that? Did you pick up on it a little bit? How confusing it all is. He's the Christ. He's a liar. No, he's a good guy. Wait, we don't know where Christ is going to come from. Wait, isn't he from Bethlehem? Oh, he's from Galilee. Where the heck? And it just sounds crazy. It just, there's so much disinformation and misinformation in this text. Right, let me give you some tools. So as we kind of move through what this text does and how it, I think it has something precious for us today. Uh, uh, but let's get a few tools. First, first of all, background, background, background. How, have any of you celebrated the Feast of Booths? Anybody here celebrated the Feast of Booths? I was raised, I wasn't really, we weren't really Jewish practicing, but uh, we never did that as a family, obviously. But I'm trying to think of, uh, in, in Pittsburgh, I remember uh, there's a very Orthodox community there, and you would see them. It's, it's really just a big Jewish camping festival. It's the big Jewish camping festival of the year. And what they do is they set up tents out in the front yard. Sometimes they set up a trellis. And they would camp in the front yard. <laughs> it's kind of cool to see. And, and the idea being that the Jewish people were together celebrating. This was a celebration actually commanded by God. They were celebrating how they traveled in the wilderness. How they traveled and God was with them. How they traveled and he provided. How they traveled and he gave them fire by, day, fire by night to see and smoke by day to follow. How he gave them manna. And this was one of those celebrations of how the people of God were sojourners and, and, uh, and nomads and, and without homes. So they would always remember that's what's going on. Oh, there's more detail to be known though. Josephus tells us this stuff. It's kind of fun. Every day of the feast, there would be a golden pitcher. And uh, the high priest would take the golden pitcher and he would proceed through the city and then pour out that pitcher at the temple. It's a part of it visualizing. Remember how water came out of a rock for the people of God. God always provides for his people over and over again. That's what the high priest was celebrating. Then the great day, the last day, the eighth day, actually, they would just party. It was just a big, it's just a big free for all. It was fun. It was a great day. It was the biggest and most popular at that time of the Jewish celebrations. It was the best time of the year. And so when Christ says, on the last day of the field, on the great day, he's talking about that last day. We know that. Another detail, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be able to pierce some of these confusions as well. As you notice, Christ is talking about how they're trying to kill him. And at least four or five times in this chapter, it says that the Jews were trying to kill him. What is his capital offense? Does anybody remember? What has Christ committed and done that has earned him such ire and such vitriol and such hatred and such anger. Does anybody remember what he did? He had healed somebody on the Sabbath. He had healed a man on the Sabbath. And, and as he's constructing his argument in front of all of these very intelligent religious people who are so antagonistic towards him, and make no mistake, the most antagonistic people to Jesus are always religious people. You are included. Trust me. And these people were extraordinarily religious. And, and so, uh, uh, but, but, uh, but uh, um, where was I going with oh, The Sabbath breaking. Uh, he had healed on the Sabbath, and he draws an analogy beautifully in the text that you could circumcise, which is to remove the foreskin of a, of a seven-year-old baby, boy, 
in the, as you, huh? Seven day old, thank you. What did I say? Oh, seven day old, thank you. The only person who had to deal with that was Ishmael. Uh, not Ishmael, was it Ishmael? Or is it, yeah. Uh, where was I with that? Seven days, so seven days, the bris. I don't know if you've ever been to a bris where they circumcise the baby, but get this, he says, look, you can circumcise on the Sabbath, you and your law, you and all your religious trappings, you have so many rules, you keep them. And you can baptize a baby, you can actually baptize, you can circumcise a baby, but I can't heal. You are inconsistent, and that's what he's drawing out. And he's drawing out a rule of the law. Now, many of you are not Sabbatarians. In fact, I don't think we have any strict Sabbatarians at all in our community. So this seems a little foreign, but make no mistake, they were dead serious. This is a capital offense. People were killed, period. And in the scriptures themselves, when the Sabbath rule was first initiated in the book of Exodus, some man went out and bundled sticks on the Sabbath. Does anybody recall what happened to our little stick gatherer on the Sabbath? He was executed by the community. In fact, when you executed somebody in the Old Testament community, guess what? You all executed him. Everybody picked up rocks, men, women, everybody to throw, to, ex to execute. So they're trying to kill him. Now, all right, so they're trying to kill him because of the Sabbath offense, and you know about the, the Feast of Booth celebration. So let's just kind of dive into the confusion now and see where it gets us. So that's not the way to go. Confusion at the big city party, the Jewish camping holiday, the Feast of Booths. Did you hear it? I heard it. It's all over the place. Look at them. G just wants to be popular. We didn't, we didn't actually even read this today. This is in the first part of the chapter. This is what his brothers say to him. You're just a publicity hound. What's the next thing that's said? No, he's a decent guy. Did you hear that? He got a nod. Did anybody hear that? He got a nod in the text. He got a nod. Maybe he is the most. He's not a bad. He's doing amazing things. What's the next line? He's a liar. Now, what's the next line after that? Oh, you know what? Where did he go to school? If you think that is not like the modern world, you got another thing coming. What's on his resume? What's his CV? What are his credentials? What is he? He's a hick from nowhere. They even go further. He's not just uneducated, he's what? He's possessed of evil. I do. He's nuts. He's insane. You could say he's paranoid. Who's trying to kill you? And did you notice some of the crowd knows that, he's being, that they're after him? Some of the crowd doesn't know. Some of the crowd knows about the Messiah. Some of the crowd doesn't even have an idea. Some know that they come from Bethlehem. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Some people don't. You hear? It's, it's crazy. It's insane. It's confusing. It's bewildering. He's going to run away. He comes from nowhere. He comes from Philadelphia. I mean, Galilee. Uh, finally, we didn't include this in the text. He's suicidal. Uh, this, by the way, this entire chapter, chapter seven, is building up in a sort of, in a, in a sort of uh, narrative crescendo in the story. And you're supposed to be like, what's going on here? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to find your voice. Did you get that? You see, and the reason that, one of the purposes of this was to, to wake you up, to, to, so you could put yourself, in a sense, in the roadmap of this world, and, and so you would be comforted. How many of you have thought bad things about Jesus? Seriously, like, 
Oh, come on, is this really true? Or I don't know if I believe, or I don't know where I stand. And you, we've all had thoughts like that. And one of the things that this wonderful explosion of confusion is, is supposed to tell you, like the Bible's going up to Frankie goes, we know how confused you get. God knows how confused you get. Jesus is confusing sometimes. Quite confusing. His words, his actions, his very person can bewilder and confuse and stymie the most intellectual man, the most religious person, can be completely bewildered by Jesus. And that's what's happening. Where, do you, where are you? Where are you? You know, some of you might say, Chris, I'm right here. He's a decent guy. I'm going to tell you that's not good enough. Saying he's a good man is false to him. It's not true. So find yourself. The second thing I want to, to, uh, to, uh, to, be, to have joy about our comfort in this day is uh, I really, really enjoyed it recently as fake news became the news item of the day. Fake news became the news item. And all of these pundits, many of whom had been caught in their own lies, were there to pontificate on fake news, which I think is somewhat ironic or hypocritical or foolish or, or a dead end right? It's self-referentially inconsistent. It's a tautology coming right out of the mouths of these people that they can say these sorts of things. What I want to say to you is fake news is as old as the hills. Fake news started with a hiss from the mouth of a snake. Fake news has always been one of the tactics of the enemy. And the reason I want to tell you this is this is really beautiful. Look, these people weren't as gullible and more gullible or, or bewildered than we are today. That's, that's good news for you. That fake news has always been around. Don't be afraid of it. And I know you've heard of fake news and it's threatened you or fake news and, and it's used by po po politicians to get you against another politician. And of course, everybody's accusing everybody else of fake news. Well, that's part of the fake news, right? It's fake news on fake news about fake news. Turn on the news. That's all it is. Mm, it's trying to be more. But I want you to hear that the condition that we find ourselves in modern America is eerily similar to a bunch of Palestinians standing around Jesus going, what the heck is going on? So be, com be, be, be comforted. Don't be afraid of confusion. Why? Because we trust this God. We trust this God. So as this kind of brings us to him, what he did next is, and this is what we'll be looking at the rest of the time, is these five statements of Jesus that are in the text. It, how many of you have ever had a red letter Bible? You ever seen a red letter edition of the Bible? Yeah, I can't stand them. They're terrible. Uh, the reason they're so terrible is because they make one part of the Bible sound like it's more important or more earnest or more drenched in the blood of the sun than the rest of it. And that's not true. That's not true. Every word, every syllable, every syllable, is true. Now, but if you were to look at this text <laughs> in an old red letter Bible, you'd see these, it would, it would jump out at you. This kind of the way these statements of Jesus punctuate all the confusion. Like Jesus, is, this is his, this is how he walks through confusion. This is who he is. And the reason I put this up here is you have to ask yourself a question as I'm talking. Am I one of those voices? Why am I not just another voice with my opinion amongst all the other chorus? 
I'll tell you why. Because I am not speaking of my own authority. I am in here. I am in this text. Jesus secured a place for me. And what he said was, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. And I praise him because I'm not seeking my own glory and my own authority here. I am speaking by the authority of the Son of God. <laughs> and I'm, I'm excited to do it. My voice today calling you to know Jesus is not another voice calling out in this wilderness of our world. No, believe it or not, <laughs> if you can see past this face, if you can do what? What Jesus tells us to do. If you do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. If you are able to ascertain and see, and some of you cannot see, and you will not see. I know you won't see. I can guarantee you won't see, because you don't have the spirit yet. But that's all right. Right now, I have come to you as not one seeking my own authority, but seeking the glory of him who sent me. Praise him. That is the role of a preacher. It is for me to announce the kingdom and to preach to the confusion of this world. Live and know Jesus. Don't be confused anymore. Judge what? With right judgment. How shall we do that? By taking Jesus at his word. I love taking him at his word because his word will set me free. I love taking him at his word because he ushers me to glory. I love taking him at his word because every syllable I know without doubt is completely true, <laughs> utterly true. I never have to worry about fake news with my Jesus and my Savior. So, as we're, so my desire is that we will now judge with a right judgment without appearances because this is what we have to do to see Jesus. So, in answer to your confusion, Jesus is really, really awesome. <laughs> that's my answer. And that's really what Jesus, I guess I'm saying, he's saying, telling you how majestic and amazing and incredible he is when it comes to space and time and eternity and his purposes. There's nobody like him. He's come to dispel confusion. <laughs> All right. And I, I, I don't know if you remember this or not. I remember it a little bit vividly. Uh, I remember these commercials for Dove soap. And the commercial for Dove soap would show a, maybe this is why it, 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 it clicked with me because we didn't have a dishwasher in our house growing up. So we did, a, well, my dad would say he had six dishwashers, me and all my brothers and sisters. And so uh, what we need another one for, right? Now, I remember the advertisement because it's very visual. So there would be a sink, dirty dishes, and the water uh, that's from Philadelphia, by the way, water. Uh, the water's all dirty and oily and greasy. And, uh, and, and, and whoever it is, you see it in the camera, a drop of dove comes from above. And the drop of dove hits the water. And it's all this greasy, oily, dark stain. And does anyone remember what happens? Boom, a circle of clean purity appears in the water. Boom, like magic. It's telling you the dove will just makes everything clear, clean. Again, that's Jesus. I just want Jesus to land in your life and heart today in such a way that you go, oh, I, I can see it clearly now. Oh, I, I get it. What do we need to get? What do we need to see? He is the eternal one. <laughs> and I want to begin with this right here. I, have you ever heard about the I am sayings of John? There's a popular conceit in American uh, evangelicalism to tell you about how many times Jesus says the I am statement as if it was only seven times. It's not. He says it again and again in, 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 uh, in the book of John. This is one of the ones that people don't usually talk about. But right here, right here, and why am I excited about this? Right here, 
You can't see it. This is not perceptible in the English. In the Greek, he uses an artificial construction syntactically in order to say he is Jehovah. And he is Yahweh. And John puts it in his mouth to crystallize for us. The first answer to confusion is what? You have to know Jesus, the Son of God, God himself. And if you know that, clarity begins to come. All of a sudden, now, oh, wait a second. And that's why they're so confused. Because they have not reckoned, they have not admitted, they have not seen or perceived or imagined even that a God was standing next to them. A God who would come and die for sins. A God who would love to the uttermost. A God who would not seek his own glory, but seek the, to love Johnny and me and to love Adele and love us and capture us and return us to, oh, this is somebody like unknown in the world. They, you know, in a sense, their confusion is explicable. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because who could have guessed that the eternal son could love you and love us? And he does. Oh, anyway, I'm sorry. All right, so this I am is Christ's self-declaration and John putting it in his mouth that you cannot know Christ or any clarity until you see him as the risen son, the son of God himself. Praise him. All right, so as you begin to recognize that, there's something else here. And look at how many times the word sent came. He sent me, sending, sending, sending. I come from him. He sent me. Uh, what's the picture here? He's, he's on a purposeful mission from eternity to here. And then where? Back to eternity. Where I'm going, you can't even come. And they're, and they're completely, now, now you get an idea why they're so confused. What do they see? Well, I see a little Jewish guy from Galilee who somehow got lucky and got big and thinks he's kind of important. They just see some kid from the wrong side of town who thinks he's smarty pants. Didn't even come in and he didn't even get an education like us. He come in here and thinks he's somebody and everybody's rallying to him. Well, you know what? They're all mistaken and we got to take that boy down because I'm telling you, this is just, this punk from Galilee has to go. They don't see it, do they? They don't see his divine presence or his divine purpose <laughs> to save us to be a sent one to be one on target and on purpose and on task to save the very people who are mocking him despising him misunderstanding him accusing him and he's there answering you just don't get it do you you don't know who i am and you don't know where i where i'm going because you don't know God. Now, here's where clarity comes. Once you begin to realize that a God has come into the world, we now are asked to track with him, to go where he's going, to be one with him. And all I want to do from now on is ask you and invite you to give your life to Jesus. If some of you have not committed your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to today. I'm going to ask you to make a decision today to follow Christ. Because he's asking you to. But more than that, I'm, I'm going to pray that, and I'm hoping I'm going to achieve this, that you will become a God-soaked people. Because when Jesus soaks you in your imagination and your will and your reasoning, you change. Things change. And you're become, you become a new person. And power for living in this world becomes more and more clear. So that's, all, that's where I'm going. This is a very simple message, isn't it? The world is all screwed up and confused. Jesus has come to bring clarity. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to come to him. And that's the whole message 
of every preacher who is sent by, by Jesus and sent by God. So what are we do here? Uh, you know, I'm going to come back to that because I want to I progress this differently. Um, so what are we, how are we supposed to respond? First, we are to believe in him. Do you see it? And actually, it's interesting. Uh, even the Pharisees say, if they continue, everybody's going to believe in him. That's a particularly Greek construction. But I, I, it's actually not a good translation. Because the word in is the word en. This is actually the word into. Now the idiom, the reason I want to accentuate the idiomatic use of the prepositional phrase is, it's wondrous. You see, belief in him is not static, it's kinetic. That's why I love this into. It's like you're moving into him. You're always moving into him or you're not in him. You get it? You're always believing into him. It's a moving in. Get in. Cross the line, guys. Come on in. The water's fine. It's, it's, it's our Savior's love. So I want you to hear this. This believing into is so, it's, it describes everything we're supposed to believe and be. And it describes our posture. It's almost like falling, we're supposed to fall forward always, right into the cross again and again. Believe into him, guys. And if you believe, and, and because we, have, we are part inheritors of, of a tradition that tells us once saved, always faced, saved. I believed at one point. Amen. I'm glad you did. Believe into him more. <laughs> believe into and desire from God a kinetic living faith that creates worship and transformation and obedience. Not what you got now. Amen? More than we have now to believe into. This idea of believing into is as, as idiomatic an expression as it is. There's something locked in its wonder because we are united to him. We become one with him. You know that idea that he's on a journey from eternity? He comes down, he says he's sent, and then he goes back, I'm going back. If you're into him, I guess that's not funny, is it? Are you into him? Anyway, so if you're into him, then you are a part of that trip. You're a part of that journey. You're a part of that process. You're a part of his victory. You follow. You're carried. You're wrapped up. You're into him. Nothing. He'll never let you go. <laughs> this is one in the very prepositional phrases are all the wonders of what it means to take bread and wine and put it in your body and to get into him and him into you. Praise him. Praise him that that's possible. <laughs> Praise him right now in your heart that it was possible for you to know. And if you're tempted to get into him right now, then just do it and cry out. Why do, why do I say this with so much boldness? I want to I go even further into a mystery and a joy that's here in this text for us. Take a look at this, guys. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know. You hear that? If anyone's will is to do God's will, that person will what? Will know whether the teaching is from God. What's going on here? Well, it's, it's the promise. But I'm going to tell you something. You don't get that blessing unless you're into him. Does that mean? And what he's promising, look, many of you have said, I will follow Christ, and I will follow Christ more authentically in my business and my family and my marriage. When? And you never say this out loud, but you're waiting to make sure he's going to pay off with you, right? And like, I'll be obedient as long as I know God's going to give me something in return, right? Or we, we strike up bargains with God where we're saying, I'll be just so obedient so I can get a certain result. Or in our worst days, we tell people and we tell ourselves we're seeking God's will, 
But in the, in the reality is we're just waiting for the moment when it feels like God agrees with us. Amen? We do this all the time. How will you know a teaching is from God, though? How will you know that what I've said about into makes any sense? How shall you know this Christ is real and available to you right now? You won't know until you what? Until you, whether you, until you what? Commit. When your will is to do God's will, whatever it is, that's where life is. Life is sitting incandescent and beautiful and flowing right there. So you could reach, guys, you don't realize this. As I'm seeing right now, imagine my words are like a torrent, a river of fire. And it's the Holy Spirit pouring out right here, right here, right now. Each one of you, by your imagination, can reach out by faith and say, I want some of that. Yes. Do it right now. Do it in your heart. Do it for the person next to you. Say, Father, I, I make this, start doing this. Because this is life and this is power for Christian living. Because we get confused. <laughs> we get confused. Oh, you know what? You shouldn't do that. It would be better if you did this. Somebody else, a voice has come along. You're crazy. Voice has come along. And then what do we need? We need to know what God's will is in the confusion. And when you're into him, when you have fallen into Jesus by faith and you know him, <laughs> everything changes. You become a new person. And this is where the payout is. And this is where the beauty of this text really comes comes to, to fruit. And it's John 37, 737. You almost get the sense that Jesus has been sitting in the confusion, listening to it. Oh, he's a good man. Jesus, Jesus had to listen to all this crap, by the way. Sorry for my language. But he just had to listen to all this junk all the time, right? Do you hear it right? I hear it. He's getting tired of it. Can you hear it? It's the last day of the feast. What does he do? He didn't even, wasn't even going to go to the feast. He told his brothers he wasn't going to the feast. You know why he wasn't going and it wasn't a lie? It wasn't a lie because his going to the feast, the feast was about him. Don't you know that God appointed feasts in the Old Testament so those folks would know who Jesus was? And they're in the midst of the feast mocking him and not knowing who he is. Do you catch the irony here? And Christ is in a wilderness of his own. Nobody knows him. Nobody understands him. Nobody can accept him. Nobody will believe him. And they mock him endlessly. <laughs> and then he, what does he yell? What does he cry out? Does he get angry? No. Is he impatient with, your, with confusion? No. What is, he's so tender. What does he do? Hey, everybody! Come have a drink. Never thirst again. Because I'm going to change you like you've never been changed before. And I'm going to make you a spring of living life for everybody. Wow. Look at this. He turns around. He turns around. Let him come and drink. He invites. And he turns around, whoever believes in me, that into. He turns around to the confused people. And he says what? He invites them in anyway. Isn't that tender? Do you hear it tender? Do you hear how tender that is? In the moment at which he has been despised, what does he do? He, may, he renews the invitation. <laughs> hey, because you missed it the first time. I'm going to say it again. Come. Because I'm going to do something even greater than you think. I'm going to change you from a confused people into what? Springs of living water. What is that? You know how many commentaries there are about, on that? 
It's, not, it's an unusual biblical image even for us. What is happening here? Christ is doing nothing less than placing us now, me today as, as a pastor preacher, and I won't be a preacher when I'm done. I'll, this is the moment where I'm preaching. Or, or us as a church, all of a sudden he's saying that here's life-giving water. And you know what? It's beautiful. I have sat with Adele and she has fed and fed me because I've drunk from the excess of the love of God in her soul. Praise him. And I've done it with Peter and I've done it with Ted. And I've done it with Sarah. And I've done it with my wife. I, it's everywhere around us. And what we are being ushered into here is real change, right? God has come to change the confusion of our hearts and turn us into a people of life-giving spirit. And there we come across an organic image, a, an organic image, a continuing image of a process of us feeding the world. I want you, here, here, somebody captured this. Somebody captured this. It's a famous picture by uh, Seeger uh, Kroner. Kroner. It's a wonderful picture of Last Supper. Uh, look, look, Judas. Judas is going out the door. And as you watch it, if you count it, there's only 11 people in the picture. What's going on here? Who's this to the right? Who's this in, covered in red? Well, it winds up covered in red. It's going to be, that's Peter. That's Peter. And, and actually, do you get it now? There's another face here. Did you see it? There's a ghost of an image reflected in the communion cup. Who's that? Who's standing here with his hands like this? It's Jesus. But the artist is inviting you into who Jesus is and his work. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this text. You see, I'm supposed to be that person for this moment. And guess what, Frankie? When you go home, you're supposed to be that person for Jenna and for, and for your daughter. And, 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 and you have to be that person at work in your business. And, and you must be that person wherever you walk and go and your neighbors. And all of a sudden, we have a new vision that's no longer confusion. Now we have a new vision of clarity. We're supposed to bring the new clarity, aren't we? What are we supposed to be? What's our living water? I know Jesus, and he's God, and he saved me from my sins. Praise him. You know, in an amazing way, every time you tell people about Jesus, you're standing there <laughs> breaking the bread. You're standing there offering the cup, but you're offering it in your heart and life and words. Praise him. Do you see now, in this final moment, what we're being invited into? And let me go one final warning. One final warning to this, and we'll be done. Do you see that this is the logical next step? That this is how this works? And if, you're in a, if you came here today, and you're, maybe you're in a place of confusion. Maybe you're not in a place of confusion. You're religious. But you're not one of those people fountaining. You're not fountaining over. You're not overflowing. You're not bubbling. You're not an organic source. You're not a... Then we, that's, this is the point. I mean, hear, you, hear me tenderly. Where you need to reevaluate and rethink everything you think to come into line, to come into focus, to come into, into, into unity with who? He was sent. And will take you back to his father. Praise him. Praise him. I want some of you to have new joy that you could chase God and have power in him the way he promises a spring of living water. Even Mike Funk could be a spring of living water. Praise God. I love Jesus. And he can do things like that. And if you meet Mike, you'll understand why. I just said that. So 
No, but this is exciting. But finally, the, the final is the diagnostic. If this, is, if this conclusion and this spring is not bubbling, we need to talk. You and I need to have a heart to heart. We have a heart to heart with somebody. Because I want the Holy Spirit alive in this community and in you and in me in such a way that we're just a mess of sprung leaks. Amen. I mean just a mess of springing leaks. Oh my goodness. I wish Ben would stop flowing with living water. Gee, I wish Deepak would stop it. He's flowing everywhere. Praise him. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you were a spring. You were that kind of spring. And that John, your, son, your servant, wrote these words down. He was a spring. And then there were springs all, all throughout history. And that spring kept running and flowing out of one man and one woman to the next. And it sprung up in Grace's heart. And it's springing up in people's hearts all around us. It's springing up in Koya. What's going on, Father? Make us more, of, make us a river. <laughs> Make us a river that makes glad the city of God. Make us flood the streets of San Francisco. No, Lord, we ask you to flood the streets of San Francisco. And this blessing wouldn't be just for our church, but for every church that knows and preaches you as Savior. Oh, Father, come enter the confusion of this age and this time and give us the blessed peace and joy and simplicity of Jesus. Amen.